I'm Michael. I'm a small business owner, investor, a work in process improv artist, definitely neurotic, and always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I'm a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It's a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free resume help, mental health help, any type of assistance you need. They have a mentor for you from around the world. That's dweebsglobal.org. So I'm so excited. I'm here today with Pamela Moss. Pamela is a lawyer. She has been, she's done everything from being a deputy district attorney, working 43 jury trials to multi-million dollar civil litigations to now owning her own estate planning firm called Law Mother. What I find really cool about Pamela though, is she's also a comedic performer doing everything from acting, improv and stand-up. And we all know I love my improv. <laughs> so thanks for being on it today. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's great to see you. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm going to start easy and I'm going to ask where you're from. I'm originally from Arizona. Okay. Where are you, where are you at now? I live in Colorado. Okay. How is Colorado this time of year with COVID going around? <laughs> We've been, uh, well, I've been quarantined since last February, but, um, we, it's a snowy day. We have like a little bit of snow today, but normally it's pretty mild out here. Yeah. Have you gotten out skiing? I haven't. I am a skier. I um, just have a newborn baby girl. So I have uh, not gotten up to the slopes yet, but we'll see. We're hoping to plan a trip. Okay. It's always the better year to have a newborn because you want to be right? home with them anyway. You don't have any obligations you got to run out to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. It's been, uh, it's been nice to have that, you know, uh, nesting, nesting time. Uh, but I also like miss all human interaction. And unfortunately, we're the only faces she's seen besides on Zoom, but she's getting pretty good at Zooming. Oh my God, she's gonna be scared of everyone. She's like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you went to law school. Uh, when did you decide you wanted to be an attorney? Um, so I, I'm the first attorney in my family. So I was kind of one of those people that grew up watching Law and Order. And that's when I, <laughs> that's what inspired me to become a lawyer at first, you know. Uh, and my high school had one of those programs where they, um, we had, you know, a mock trial team and we had some criminal and civil law classes. And I got involved with all of that. And that's what kind of sparked my, sparked my interest in it and kind of went that route. Okay. So it was something you kind of always knew you wanted to do at least from a high school age. I did. I, my, uh, my degree before I went to law school was in an engineering. I'm from an engineering family. So I did work as an engineer before I went to, and got an engineering degree before I went to law school. Oh, wow. What exactly did you do with the engineering degree? <laughs> well, um, so I worked for a project engineering company at the time, CH Hill. They're not around anymore, but I did um, water treatment plant design. I did all kinds of big construction projects as a civil engineer okay. and then uh, went to law school. Were you, were you disappointed when you became a lawyer and it wasn't exactly like these trials on TV? Oh, it was exactly like it when I, oh, cause it? I went, I went to the DA's office right out of law school. So, um, and I, I clerked for a DA's office in law school and I would walk through the, the hall courtroom and, court halls and like hum to myself dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like it was um you know and I was in court every day and in trial I mean it's not exactly like it right so it's not everything's not solved in a 30 minute episode and um but I did have 
coming out of law school, the, the more law and order type experience being in court every day and being in trial every week. Okay. I mean, I watch night court, so it's not like night court though, right? That wasn't. <laughs> It was not like Night Court, and I do remember Night Court, and I did watch Night Court, so uh, that was a good show. It was. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so was it? I guess it was it better. Was it better than you expected? Did you end up really enjoying it? And... Um, I mean, I'm still a lawyer, so I still love being a lawyer. Um, yeah, I think um, you know, it's uh, I'm one of the few lawyers that I feel like loves being a lawyer and loved law school, and I love what I get to do. Um, but yeah, you get through periods of challenges and there's definitely highs and lows and it's not, um, it's not easy by any means, <laughs> um, but I've kind of transitioned my career through, uh, the last 11 years. And now as a business owner, I love what I get to do. And so you kind of, you get to make your own hours and make your, make your own way when you own your own business. So yeah. I really enjoy that. I understand that I'm a business owner as well. And it, it's the best and the worst, it's right? Some, some of the biggest stress on your back, but the perks are worth it. Right. You just, yeah, you have days where um, it definitely makes you uh, appreciate all the people you worked for, worked for in the past. Yeah. It's different level of stress for sure. They always say business ownership is like the greatest personal development course. And I really believe that it's, you know, you can't blame your boss. <laughs> you are the boss. No, you can blame your employees, though. <laughs> always, uh... <laughs> always get you real far, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, did you start out as a litigation attorney? Mm -hmm. Is that right? Sorry, I'm going back. Yeah. So, no. So I started off as a district attorney and then transitioned. And that's actually so in law school, I um I wanted to get better at public speaking to do trials. And so I um, went and saw a friend's improv show and they mentioned classes. And I'm like, I will never perform, but I'm going to take a class just to make me a better lawyer. And I took the improv class and I got hooked. And then within a year I was auditioning and on a house team. And so during the day I was in court and in trials. And at night I was performing in improv shows every um, week. So it was a, cool dynamic <laughs> for sure yes I wish I had done it uh, younger for the same rig I, I, I would have pursued it a lot more and done a lot more of the improv but I did it when I had two kids and <laughs> not quite as much time oh yeah uh, I did it for the same reason though I I wasn't becoming a lawyer but I, I was speaking in front of a lot of uh, a lot of political events and a lot of uh, stuff in the capital and uh, for the businesses that I was doing and I was so scared getting up in front of people and somebody introduced me to improv and I figured throw myself to the gauntlet and see what happens. And hopefully I can get over this fear and it worked. Yeah. It looks like it for yeah. sure. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it worked for you too. I'm guessing. It did. It did. Absolutely. I think kind of that mix of, you know, in, in a lot of ways, trials are like their own productions, right? So you, it's, you're telling a story, you have witnesses like actors, it's very um, similar. And so just being able to, and there's so much you can't control, right? It's so unpredictable. You're having to think on your feet. Um, so yeah, it really um, helped me um, when I was a litigator and in court and um, now continues to be something that is a creative outlet, is a way to, um, have fun and, and be creative as well. 
Gotcha. I completely understand that. What did you do as, um, as a district attorney? What exactly does a district attorney do? Yeah, so I was um, essentially in, in Colorado, we have an elected district attorney that's the head, and then they hire dis- deputy district attorneys. And we represent the people, we represented the people of the state of Colorado. And so it was criminal cases, very similar to law and order. The police would investigate the crime, but then the deputy district attorney, the prosecutor would prosecute it in, a, in, a, in the case. So I, on a day-to-day basis, I would be um, pretty much in trial uh, a few times a month where there would be some type of criminal case and I'd be presenting the case to the jury on behalf of the people of the state of Colorado. And then um, a lot of the rest of the time was spent um, speaking with victims of criminal cases and then speaking with defendants and um, doing other parts of court proceedings leading up to trial. So that's kind of in a nutshell what a deputy district attorney does. Okay. Uh, you know, I just interviewed um, Jeffrey Deskovich, who was falsely accused. So this is why these questions are on my mind. But can you can you see where that might occur, how that would have happened? Or have you ever had a case where maybe somebody was like, You're, I don't think they're guilty, but they're put, like, I'm the district attorney and I have to do this? Or I was a deputy district attorney in Boulder, Colorado. And I don't know if you're familiar with Boulder, Colorado, but we, I'm lucky that I was in a, a office that is very, um, I guess, progressive, very, um, both the community and the um, person I was working for. And, and the really took a approach of um, rehabilitation, really took a, a lot of, um, that office was a model and still is a model for a lot of other places in the country as far as our juvenile systems. But yeah, when I first started, I, you know, they start you in misdemeanor court, in uh, traffic court and county court, and you get some theft and you get some DUIs. And, and then you kind of, after I was there for a few years, I got um, promoted into felony district court. But even when I was there in um, county court, I had a lot of cases involving domestic violence. And um, there was always this, I always had a lot of weight of this what happens in this case, what decision I make or what offer I do or don't make um, is really going to affect these people's lives, the victim and the defendant. And there was lots of times I was up late at night where I, or I'd be consulting with other people and talking through. um, And, you know, I think I had a good reputation of being someone that was reasonable, that would listen through, listen through things, you know, is the system perfect? No. Is it the type of, um, did I have any um, did I have any concerns about the cases I prosecuted now? Like the um, process that we went through the evidence. I mean, we did the right thing. If there, if the evidence wasn't there, if the, um, if the pieces weren't there, but I, I obviously wasn't on it as the, a type of case, like the one you're describing and it does happen and it's horrible. And I have friends on both sides. I am aware of a lot of the organizations that do that type of work. Um, my brother is a journalist and he did a lot of work for, um, exposing, um, abuse in prisons in California. And he, um, and so through him, I have a lot of awareness too, around, um, not only prisoner abuse, but wrongful convictions as well. But I think it's a, I think it's a serious problem. I don't have a a strong answer as to, um, the solution, but I, I do think it's important. And that was the thing that, 
uh, my brother kind of instilled in me when I took the job because I was looking in law school at the DA's office or the public defender's office. And he was like, we really need reasonable people in the DA's office because district attorneys have a lot of power and you need people that are going to be compassionate, that are going to look at the facts, that are going to take the time with people. And so I feel like that's what, while I could have um, gone to kind of the defense side, that was the one of the real reasons I went to the prosecution side was to have more diversity um, of opinions and to be able to bring that perspective for sure. So then you you uh, you also did civil litigations. I guess that was a uh, was that completely different than being a district attorney. Yeah. So um, I was a lot of times I was involved in cases involving sexual assault, and uh, this was prior to the Me Too movement. But I had been involved in a few cases where it made sense to bring a civil case. And so I got to know some of the lawyers involved and it was a natural progression for me. So um, unfortunately for sexual assault victims in the criminal justice system, in the majority of places, you don't get justice because it's so hard to prove a criminal sexual assault. Really, it's like one of the only crimes that you can survive and be a witness and that's not enough. And um, so a lot of those cases aren't taken to trial. They're not criminal, but there's usually enough evidence for a civil lawsuit, either against the institutions that like the Catholic church or other institutions that are per, you know, perpetuating it or against the perpetrator themselves. And so um, that was a natural transition to me to continue to help people who could not get justice in the, get justice in the criminal system. Gotcha. It almost, it almost seems like you need a serial offender before there's enough evidence against somebody in a lot of cases, which is yeah. super unfortunate. Yeah. So, so it was a natural progression for me to help victims in another way and um, got and a great opportunity to work with both child and adult victims of sexual abuse, taking, bringing civil lawsuits. All right. And then you started your own law firm called, I did. called Mother. I did. So have you had, how many kids do you have? I have one daughter. Oh, okay. And she's a newborn, but you called she's it a newborn. You called it, it well, when did you open this? this so I just changed the name of the firm after she came about. So <laughs> it was originally Moss Law when I launched my firm. And with becoming a mother, with a lot of my clients being families, I really wanted to take a stand for families. And also, I'm growing my firm, bringing on more attorneys. And I really wanted to have a brand that they could own as well. That wouldn't just be my last name. So uh, wanted to go with something a little more innovative and something that would speak to more modern, a modern world. That's very friendly. Yeah. <laughs> what, what type of law, what exactly is the type of law you practice? So I still do some litigation, some personal injury litigation for sex assault victims. And then the rest, the majority of my practice is estate planning and <laughs> legacy planning. And so Really, when I was a DA, um, I saw, you know, some type of tragedy would happen, whether it was an accident or um, something more serious, and people would not have legal plans in place. They wouldn't have an estate plan in place. And as a result, their loved ones would end up in court for many years. Kids would end up in child protective services. So I became really passionate about doing proactive planning. So one of the things I love about being able to do estate planning is take my 10 years of litigation experience 
and bring it in a way to help people proactively plan to protect their children, to protect their family and, and bring that knowledge. I, I think I, my, my wills, my wife and I went and got them all together and I think they're in a cabinet unsigned right now. So I should probably, it's probably not what I'm supposed to do, right? Nope, the universe has uh, brought, you, brought you here to remind you to go get that signed. <laughs> yeah. So is that, is that also what legacy attorney is? I've never Yeah, so yeah, legacy. I also do asset protection. Yeah, so legacy is just another way for um, really making sure that the legacy you're creating now is protected for you and for your children. Okay. All right. What type of, what type of clients do you have that come to you for that? Yeah. So I have a mix. I have clients that are, uh, you know, in their thirties. I even have clients in their twenties in forties who have young children or are business owners or professionals and really just want to have a plan in place if something were to happen to them. And then I have kind of the baby boomer generation who uh, has children that are my age and wants to have a plan in place. Uh, making sure that everything's protected. When should people have a plan in place? Should they have it, whether or not they have a bank account with money in it, or is there a certain other protections that I'm just not thinking about that you would need it that has nothing to do with financial? Yeah, so I love that question. And the answer is yes, there are other things besides financial to think about. Um, for the financial piece, you know, I don't believe that there's a certain net worth you should have to have an estate plan in place because you know, some people will say it's a hundred thousand. Some people say 500, some people will say a million and it's, it's really arbitrary. So instead, what I like to do is explain to my families that I work with, um, is, you know, what would happen to their family under different scenarios. If they have no plan in place, it will be the state's plan for them, which is often very costly, very time consuming and it, and you don't have control, right? It's a judge, a stranger making the decisions. Um, and then, with an estate plan in place, you can have a lot more control. And for most of my clients, I would say they aren't multimillionaires, right? They traditionally fall into more of the middle class where they have a home, they have life insurance, they have retirement accounts, they're saving up for the future. Um, I have a lot of clients who want to make sure that if something were to happen to them where their children are minors, that they know who would take care of their kids. And, and then I do do um, folks that own businesses because a lot of people don't realize if you own a business and you don't have a succession plan in place, your business is going to go through probate if something happens to you. Um, and disability planning. So unfortunately, most of us at some point are going to become disabled or incapacitated. And even with a pandemic, people are sometimes put in that situation and hopefully they recover. Um, but people with COVID have had periods of incapacitation. And so making sure that those documents are in place, whether that's your medical powers of attorney or advanced healthcare directives um, and making sure your financial decisions could be made by who you'd want or that your bills can be paid while, until you can recover. Got you. Okay. I love that you've created this firm and it's called Law Mother. It's, 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 uh, I like it all. And what I really Thanks. want to talk about though, is your improv and your comedy. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I know. We I, I, about that. I had to get through the other stuff, which is super interesting as well. So what do you enjoy doing the most acting improv or stand up? Uh, definitely improv. I feel like I'm the worst at improv though, <laughs> all of it, like stand up. I'm always much better at, um, but I, I think I, I just enjoy improv the best, um, but I'm not getting to do any of that right now with COVID, but I, I'm so jealous of people who think they're good improv artists. <laughs> <laughs>
Right? Yeah. Well, I do know a lot of really good ones. I feel like I never was a good, good, so so to say, improviser, but I always uh, put a lot of heart into it and just love it. Love the community. At least out in Colorado, our improv community is amazing. And, you know, there's so many people who they're all doing it for fun, right? They, they're not trying to get on, you know, on a traveling second city team. They're not trying to get on SNL. So they all just come there and, and bring a lot of fun. And it's great. Yeah, for the most part, it doesn't seem like improv is a stepping stone to, to stardom, at least. <laughs> at least not unless you, li- I go. Although unless you live in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. If you right. live in Chicago. <laughs> and not to discount, we have some super talented people in the DC area that I improv with. And man, I, I, I hope they get found by somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope they can <laughs> use me to bounce off and... and <laughs> my noviceness when I'm out there. <laughs> I try to explain to people that it's really such an amazing community because the whole premise of improv is yes and. So it's people agreeing with you or just going along with whatever you're saying. So the whole natural premise of it is just to support each other. Oh yeah, and we've I've done actually, I've partnered up with some of my improv friends and we've done workshops for lawyers, like improv for lawyer things. And people get such a great, thing out of it too it's and they're not even trying to perform yeah it's exactly what you're describing and there's so many great companies out there that do improv for team building and all of that for sure oh yeah my last christmas party the, for my one of my, for my stores i brought one of the improv uh teachers uh, to to the restaurant we were at and they did about an hour at improv and i gotta tell you all of the employees were like i can't believe we're gonna do this, this <laughs> What is my boss making me do and they all loved it after the hour they're like can we do this next year again like <laughs> yeah i um I, when I first started taking improv, I would go home and visit my family and I'd make them do all the improv exercises with me and like warm up and they loved it. They were so great. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like improv people really think you're like crazy and they don't want to do it. And then they start doing it and they're like, this is actually really fun. It's, it's kind of a cult. We're, we're kind of in a, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of a cult we're in. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like in the beginning, all my friends were really supportive and came to my improv shows, and uh, then that drops off pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and like improvisers like to see improv shows. <laughs> it's true. Have you done any online? Have you been doing any Zoom? <laughs> no, I've been doing so. I um, have been doing a lot of videos for my business, so I do. TikToks that are kind of about motherhood and just fun and um and then I do like estate planning TikToks too so that's been my whole creative outlet right now is is doing that kind of stuff okay uh and you do stand-up as well correct I actually watched some of your stand-up so I know oh thanks it's been yeah it's uh been a little while I was um wanting to I was planning when I got pregnant that I wanted to do like another because I love um Ali Wong's um, series on Netflix when she's pregnant giving stand-up. I don't know if you've seen it. Baby Cobra, I think is what it's amazing. And so after I watched that, as soon as I became pregnant, I'm like, I'm going to do stand-up pregnant. It's going to be amazing. And then COVID hit and I, I couldn't. Cause so um, I've had a few friends do the, uh, the zoom uh, stand-up shows and I haven't gotten into doing that. What's it like to get on stage by, I can't imagine doing stand-up being alone there with the microphone with the sole goal of making people laugh and just, I'd be, I'd still be so frightened to try that. 
Yeah, I like that's what I said too. I was like exactly what you said before I started doing stand up. Um, but once you tell the first joke and people laugh, it you like you just go into the flow. You just love it. It's just amazing. I think that um, the amazing thing about stand up is just that like that energy you feel from the crowd and that relationship you get to have with the crowd. It's totally different than improv. Like improv, you get to have that with your, um, with your teammates. And it's amazing, but it's just like being able to look them in the eyes and share it. And it's just so powerful. You should definitely try it. We should do it at some point. It's I'm really sweating, sweating thinking about it. <laughs> Cause I have my bad, I have a lot of bad nights. So I have my improv team that I can, I can lean on. And <laughs> right. Um, I did work with, um, a, a mentor, um, Christina Hall, I'll give her a shout out and I can give you a link for her. She does a stand-up comedy workshop and she also will help people tighten up their sets. And so through her stand-up comedy workshop, a few improvisers I knew had done it. And so I, I jumped on the bandwagon because you know me, anytime there's a class involved or a degree, I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, and so I did, so I did it and, um, through it's a two week process and you write all your jokes, you refine them. And then you, she like coaches you through, um, doing it. And then the catch is you have to invite your like entire community to the show. And you think it's so terrifying because, but that's part of the transformation. She's like, you don't know if you're going to do well, but you have to invite everyone so we can have a big crowd here. So my first show was in that environment. There was 200 people at our improv comedy club. There were me and like eight other first time comedians and we all got up there and did it and it all landed really well and the audience and it was a really amazing first stand-up comedy experience and um but I was still like the adrenaline before I went on stage was like nothing like I really felt like I was going to pass out like I've never had that bad of stage fright before I went up the first time and then I said my first joke and the crowd laughed and I was like okay this is and then you kind of just feed off the energy because you know it like from your improv like you just you feed off the energy and then that was so much fun that I started, um, I submitted to our local comedy competition and then I submitted to festivals and then I kept writing and then I, um, just kept improving and get, getting better jokes. And, uh, um, it was just, it's just been a fun, fun journey, um, of, of kind of learning, but yeah, it's, a uh, the fear is there. I think she always told us, you know, you don't go out there to make them laugh. Like that's not going to work. Right. Like you can't, like, that's not the energy you have to bring. Like the energy you have to bring is the energy you want to feel, right? So do you want to, if you want to feel joy from them, if you want to feel love from them, if you want to feel insp- whatever it is that like, authentic, uh, like authenticity, whatever it is, you bring that energy and it helps when you're, when you're delivering your jokes, you're not delivering them from a place of wanting to make them laugh. You're de- delivering them with the emotion that that joke leads, right? So that also also helps but I've had you know I had a lot of I've had bad shows since then right (laughs) like I had really like one of the big lessons I had was um don't do stand-up comedy at a um at an event that has like like almost like a talent show like a showcase of different so stand-up comedy you really need to be in a environment that's for stand-up comedy people have to be like pumped for it you have to you know, there's a science to it. And when you do a variety show, 
you don't have that. So like I went, I didn't know that. So I went right after this like slam poet that had this like really dark, like, and then I went up and did my normal set and like, no, I'm like, people usually laugh at this punchline. Like nobody laughed. Like all my friends were there. It was like the most embarrassing show I've ever done. I'm like, I swear this killed it. Comedy works like two weeks ago. Um, and then, uh, so you have bad stuff like that. I, uh, I did a show with a group of people where we, it, and there was a lot of good comics in it, but th- we did some sh- comedy show, like in a bookstore. I don't know why we did it in a bookstore. Someone got the gig and all the people were doing it. So I was like, okay, like if he's doing it, I'll do it. Like there's all good people there. And literally it, I mean, it wasn't a Barnes Noble, but it was like a Barnes Noble. We are in the middle of a bookstore, like, and people are <laughs> shopping, and we're doing stand-up comedy and then there was like these two chairs in the front and these two little boys they must have been like seven years old like came and sat down and they were like the only ones watching the show and then everyone else was just it was the weirdest show I've ever done uh, but yeah so I have plenty of stories like that of like really really doing a hack job and and it, and it not being fun but after you've done enough that go well you have more confidence that um you know yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't get as nervous anymore. I still get nervous. Not as much. Cause I realized after a few really bad shows that people don't remember them like you do. So it doesn't matter that much. Like it's okay. It's done and gone. And the day later it's out of that person's life, whoever saw it. So it's not a. The interesting thing about improv too versus standup is like people still like improv, even if it's not always funny, like sometimes it's just interesting. Right. Like I've watched really good improv that hasn't made me laugh hysterically the whole time, but I've still really enjoyed it. Like I enjoy the characters and I enjoy the story. Like, so, and, and sometimes it's just, yeah, it's what's happening. But sometimes you go in weird places too, right? Oh, when you say something <laughs> and you're like, oh no. <laughs> sweep, sweep, yeah. sweep. <laughs> Somebody wipe for me, please <laughs> save me. <laughs> so did you write, did you have jokes were you already writing jokes before you took your first stand-up class? No. And so through the process, I mean, I've always been a big stand-up fan and I've always like do my own stuff, but I always say I laugh more. I think I have a good sense of humor. I, I don't, I don't think I'm like a natural comedian <laughs> for any, by any means. Um, but yeah, through that class, I mean, in, I guess I will back up when I started doing improv, I got on the sketch team. And so I was comedy, I was writing sketches for our sketch shows. And so I got in the habit of writing comedy for that. Uh, but I never thought I was going to do stand up. So I wasn't like, I didn't have like a stand up joke book back then. And then when I started doing the class, that's when I started writing jokes and keeping uh, my journal and, and putting things down. Okay, because I, I know that's one of the things that's probably kept me from doing stand-up. Probably a lot of other people is, well, I don't write jokes. So how am I going to go do stand-up? But <laughs> Yeah, so I I definitely think like there's other, there's a few really good books out there um, on stand-up comedy writing. And um, there's other people besides Christina Hall and other states that teach classes. Um, but there is a real, uh, it's a real writing form and there's a real technique. And there are naturally funny people, um, but there is a technique to put jokes in the right format for them to be funny, right? So um, so once you learn that, like it's very teachable and you can't, like if you, ha- 
my point is if you have the um, comedic sense of being an improv, you have the same talent to do stand up. And really, I feel like anyone could be a stand up comedian. It's, it's really, do you have the desire to, to put the work in and learn it, the, the art? Um, and you have to go through the practice, right? And you have to put yourself out there. But I definitely think you could do it. And it would be a really fun experience. And you should do it for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> I might have to. I don't know. I feel like a challenge in a way. If you, if you have the desire, I'm like, if I can do it, I'm like, if my, uh, it, yeah. So, but there is like a set format for how to write jokes and the process that I went through that a lot of comedians go through, um, is, you know, I'm not writing the joke first. I'm writing the setup. So the setup isn't funny, right? The setup is some strong observations, some strong opinions, some strong, and then the, the actual punchline of the joke is the is the second part. So once you so the writing process that I went through and that I learned was you know really like mining my brain and my past and everything about like those strong um, setups and then the punchlines kind of flow from there. Okay, yeah, I, I mean it's all technique. I, I was I'm amazed still with how much technique there is with improv. Oh my gosh, improv. Yeah, I think improv is way harder. <laughs> <laughs> but even like I'm sure people they heard us they heard you say swipe and me say wipe and they're like what's this these inside jokes these people are telling but it's all like everything is turned uh, and by the way that's it, when that's when somebody said when you end a scene somebody says either swipe or wipe or yeah um, when you yeah. said wipe I was like ooh is that what he called is that what they call it in the DC improv is scene? it like an east coast west coast thing is that is I it don't a, know so are you dying to get back out there when COVID ends? Are you, are you building up jokes? Are you building up just a wanting to be back on stage or? Um, you know, I think it's a little bit different with me having a newborn. I do have, like, I've started, um, you know, pulling stuff together from kind of the motherhood process and, and all of that. But I do, I do feel like my priorities have, have kind of shifted and um, I am really enjoying kind of just sharing my comedy online in the form of social media. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Where can people find you? Where can they come check out some of this? Yeah. So on, uh, I, my voice just went up real high for a second. Um, so my Instagram is lawmotherco, and on TikTok talk, I'm lawmother. Um, and my website is lawmother.com. Okay, perfect. And I also host a podcast, the working moms podcast, and you can find that at lawmother.com too. Okay. And I will put all those links on the, the YouTube and the podcast so people can Sounds find Sounds great. You. Thank you so much. This is Thank been, you. Yeah. Tons of fun. I want to see you perform. So <laughs> I make it out to Colorado. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Michael It was great chatting. It's so nice. So thank you everyone who's watching. Uh, I'm Michael. This has been second scene podcast. And again, it's a dweebs global production. So if you need resume help, mental health help, anything help, help, it's free, dweebsglobal.org. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>